Hello everyone! Host Emily Adams back with episode two of Urban Tumbleweed. I am so stoked to have you all here with me and a very warm welcome to all the newcomers. All right, last week we covered the scope of the definition of sustainability and this week we are going to dive deeper into who the players are in this game of sustainability in life. We're breaking this episode up into three parts, the individual, the government, and the corporation. And with each of these parts, I'll cover the areas of impact, relevant statistics, why it's important to focus on this area, and any actions that we have already or should enact in order to become a more sustainable society. And just as a disclaimer, this is all from the point of view of an American and is mostly based on American standards and norms. And I once again am going to apologize in advance for how many times I say the word sustainable And again, while I don't necessarily condone turning it into a drinking game, I do support your ability to do so. (laughs) And with that, let's get started. Individuals. Like we discussed last week, individual efforts and impact seem excruciatingly pointless when you look at the collective problem of sustainability and society. We're just little specks of dust, you know? And this perspective of not having the individual power of change and lack of acceptance of personal responsibility in a collective group can actually be seen in the 1968 social study, The Smoky Room Experiment. Social psychologist Bib Latane, sorry, I know I butchered that, and John Darley investigated the phenomenon of the diffusion of social responsibility, and which they hypothesize that if an individual is alone when they notice an emergency, then they are solely responsible for coping with it. And if they believe that others are also present, they may feel that their own responsibility for taking action is lessened, making them less likely to help. It can, it can really be closely linked to the bystander effect. So these social psychologists, not going to try to pronounce their names again, hypothesized that passive behavior from other witnesses to an emergency will indicate to an individual that the event is not actually dangerous and thus influence them not to react. And this is mainly due to you know social norms and factors like the desire to go with the group and to be accepted, and more or less to engage in some form of groupthink. The Smoky Room experiment placed individuals in fake emergency situations in a variety of different group dynamics. In one experiment, or actually all the experimental conditions, the subjects were asked to complete a survey in a room that slowly filled with smoke. Smoke was harmless, but the subjects were unaware of this, so they were fully believing that this was a genuine emergency situation. But in the first setting, subjects were alone in the room, and they were considerably more likely to report the smoke. 75% of the subjects in this setting reported the smoke to the experimenters within six minutes. Pretty solid percentage. In the second setting, though, one subject was placed in a room with two actors who behaved indifferently towards the smoke. So when the subject noticed the smoke, the actors just kind of shrugged and returned to their work. And in this setting, only 10% of the subjects reported the condition 
of the smoke, which is insane. (laughs) The third setting involved three subjects in the room, no actors, and only 38% of the subjects in this setting reported the smoke. So even though the room filled with so much smoke that the subjects began coughing and their vision obscured, they still didn't report it when they were in group conditions. And so you may be wondering why I'm going over a social experiment on a sustainability podcast. And this is really to highlight how we've gotten to the condition that we are in as a society. Because by just accepting that the responsibility to enact change does not lie with you as an individual, you're perpetuating the smoky room experiment, and so are all the other individuals in this hypothetical room with you. But by enacting sustainable change in your life, you have the opportunity to make a change with all the people who are also sitting in this smoky room. Your choices, collectively with others, of course, have the ability to sway corporations and governments through consumer choice and citizen voice. And your choices have the ability to spark interest and educate those around you. Your choices have the ability to make a collective change. And this is not meant to make you feel guilty, but rather to empower you to see that you have the ability to make a difference in your life and in others' lives. But with this empowerment, however, I do not want to perpetuate the guilt that is assigned to individuals by governments and corporations. Because yes, you as the individual have the responsibility and the opportunity to do as much as you can, you are limited to what you have. So the scope and scale of impact from corporations and governments are vast in comparison to individual effort and therefore is where the majority of responsibility lies when it comes to enacting sustainable change. In fact, the origin of the phrase carbon footprint traces back to a PR campaign that was outlined by BP and its major oil backers back in the early 2000s as a way to reframe the conversation away from corporate accountability and place the responsibility on individuals to control their personal emissions. Which, you know, like, you are you, great. BP is BP, like, it's the scope and scale of impact is insane. (laughs) And therefore, there's a disproportionate amount of responsibility placed on the individual when it comes to the discussion of sustainability. And while, again, yes, we do have some degree of responsibility, especially as a collective, The sole focus of saving the world should not be placed on the individuals. And of course, with that being said, there are still a number of easy ways to initially get involved with sustainability. You could get involved with sustainability through a group at your workplace, or if they don't have one, you could start one. You could research what you buy, whether that be food or clothing or household goods, you know, what the, what their... Uh, supply chain looks like, if they're local or organic, if they have natural ingredients versus uh, lab-made toxins. You can then model your purchases after your morals. You could change your eating habits to include less meat and dairy. You could monitor your energy usage in your house. You could drive less, take more public transit. You know, the possibilities are endless. And every minor decision that you make in favor of sustainability is impactful in its own way, and you, as an individual, have the ability to make positive change. And going into ways to get involved in sustainability on a personal level is, once again, a whole episode that I have planned out, but those are just quick little 
tidbits that are easy to get started in, relatively low lift, and you can start making those changes today. But okay, (laughs) that was a lot. So let's take a quick breather before we jump into our big boys, governments and corporations. Governments. The least polarizing entity in modern day society. (laughs) Regardless of your political affiliation or your views on the efficacy of governments themselves, they do still play a major role in the local, national, and global context. At their ideal state, governments have the ability to enact quick and efficient change through policies, and these policies can be enforced. We could think of traffic laws as an example. The government has created a set of laws meant to keep us safe on the roads, and violators of these laws that endanger citizens are penalized on this basis. So if the government were to create policies that direct us to a more sustainable society, they would have the ability to enforce those policies and penalize entities that go against that sustainable progress. Governments also have the power to incentivize corporations to enact sustainable practices, such as tax breaks for renewable energy companies. So governments have the ability to enact global scale change, which is an appropriate amount considering the fact that sustainability concerns are global scale threats. But of course, this is all idyllic, and the government has a lot of internal and bureaucratic loopholes and issues that prevent these ideals from coming forth in a timely manner, as I'm sure we are all well familiar with. But even with the more realistic view of government actions and sustainability, there is still a lot of good that can come from these governing entities. The development of the EPA was a major step taken by the American government to start curating a sustainable nation. The United Nations Development Program, or the UNDP, that initiative develops resources related to impact management, intelligence, and just facilitation to accelerate investment towards the Sustainable Development Goals, or the SDGs. So governments recognizing sustainability and creating policies around it give the topic validity and staying power, which is so critical in its integration with society. And of course, with great power comes great responsibility. And as a representative from Greenpeace pointed out, government has presented climate change as a potential catastrophe. Yet its statements about solutions and its actual policies do not match up to the story it tells. Mixed messages are highly damaging to public understanding, trust, and sense of personal capacity to act. And this communication can also be closely tied with the enablement of the smoky room experiment that we discussed a little bit ago. So they're great at communicating, but, you know, they have to communicate it in a way that is beneficial for the sustainability goals that we have as a society. So governments do have the ability to make huge-scale positive change and the ability to assist in the education of sustainability, but there are considerable amounts of internal changes that need to be made and a recognition of power that needs to be had for them to truly be efficient and impactful. And, you know, this is, it's depressing because we as citizens trust our governments to have our best interests in mind, but I am confident that with consistent pressure from the collective of individuals, wow, what a good callback to the first episode, radical positive change can be made. And with that, for our last topic, corporations, 
let's take another quick break so we can get into it. Arguably the biggest and baddest of them all, corporations. They have a scope and scale similar to that of governments, and they are the most involved in all things within the scope of sustainability. Corporations can, and do, directly profit off of exploiting natural and human resources, with little to no incentive to give back. But they also have the ability to enact change at a local, national, and global scale, with a timeline that typically supersedes that of the government. They're almost like a wild card. They have immense they have an immense amount of power, but it can be used for either good or evil in the context of sustainability. And as some background and to once again highlight the scale of impact, studies have found that a hundred companies are responsible for seventy one percent of industrial greenhouse gas emissions since nineteen eighty eight, and just twenty major fossil fuel companies are accountable for one third of all global emissions. That is insane. So what are we supposed to do with this wild card? And what has this wild card already done? Well, money talks. So as an individual consumer, we have the purchasing power to sway corporations to change their sustainability behavior in order to remain profitable and competitive. And this extends way beyond just one company. Corporations are very aware of market trends and what is necessary for them to remain competitive. So sustainable change for one company can act as a starting domino for other companies in their market, which can be local, global, or national. Alternatively, for decades, powerful companies have lobbied against action on a wide range of environmental regulations, both nationally and internationally, in the name of economic profit. Lobbyists have argued that changing the status quo of operations threatens the health of the economy, job stability, and freedom of choice for consumers. So the sway of sustainable purchasing habits can also be weaponized by corporations against consumers in the form of greenwashing and eco-capitalism, both topics that we'll cover in depth in another episode. Which sucks. You would think that we would all want to do what we can as a collective society to make the world a better place. But thankfully, there are some corporate leaders who do have this mindset. To quote former Unilever CEO Paul Pullman, sustainability makes good business sense, and we're all on the same team at the end of the day. That's the truth about the human condition. So there are a number of local and global corporations that have started to make the commitment to sustainability, and their actions have reflected this commitment. Microsoft, for example, has pledged to be carbon negative by 2030, meaning that they will remove more carbon from the environment than what they put out. Google runs its infrastructure 100% sustainably. Amazon has committed to its climate pledge and has committed $70 million for community commitments as a part of its 20, sorry, 2 billion, I wish it was 20 billion, it's 2 billion initiative for sustainability. Starbucks aims to reduce its emissions by 50% and contribute 50% of its water intake for its products. Corporations have additionally created sustainability teams and organizations within their company, focusing on environmental and social responsibility. Companies that are serious about fully committing to sustainable practices have also adapted their business pillars to include sustainability as a foundational operating principle. 
which may initially seem like virtue signaling, but this holds corporations accountable to measure their success not only in terms of finances, but sustainable impact as well. And this can most easily be seen with companies that utilize the GRI standard or the Global Reporting Index, since it heavily emphasizes sustainability in the business complex. So now sustainability is ingrained in their success metrics and are a part of their bottom line, which encourages these companies to operate in a more sustainable manner, especially because, you know, at this point, investors and backers can look at both their finances, their financial reports, as well as their sustainable impact reports. And they can utilize this to make investment decisions and they can hold these companies accountable, which is awesome. And of course, I can't end the section without showing some love to the corporations who have pioneered this movement and have been committed to sustainability since the start. Companies like Patagonia and Dr. Bronner's are sustainable companies that can serve as models for other companies looking to transition into more sustainable corporations. And with that, I think I will stop inundating you with information. What I talk about is in no way even remotely exhaustive on this topic, and there are a plethora of nuances that have yet to be covered with each of these players. I think that's been the toughest part about creating episodes for this podcast, that there's just so much information that's important to understand to get the full context of the topics that we're covering, but it's like nearly impossible to make it digestible for everyone. And speaking of, important to note, the sustainability is a long-term investment from all parties involved. You need to approach this topic with a big picture mindset and understand that the payoff is monumental, but it takes time. This is also not to advocate for an either-or action to be taken, you know, like, oh, corporations and government should be the only ones taking responsibility, or oh, just corporations, or oh, just governments, but rather it's to point out that we all collectively need to do our part as individuals, corporations, and governments in order to make radical positive change. If Literally every single episode does not have the word collective in it. I'm doing my, <laughs> I'm doing this wrong because sustainability is a collective effort. It's a collective outcome and it's a collective benefit. So we need to do this collectively. And again, I'm a regular person just trying my best and I would love to hear feedback from you regarding opinions or topics and I would love to hear any ideas or suggestions that you have for future episodes. And all the works cited are also in the podcast description. So if you want to check out these articles that I've referenced or read in order to get a better understanding of this topic itself, would super highly recommend checking out all of the links in the description. And with that, thanks for listening, and I'll see you all soon. Stay rad!